0: Twenty-seven. As we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and as I was preparing, I said, "Boy, we're going to cover a lot of verses tonight." And then I started searching over here and running this one out over here, and I said, "Well, maybe we won't cover so many tonight, Uh, and uh, we'll take our time because we want to get what Jesus is trying to teach us here—the Sermon on the Mount." You can argue, if you want, uh, the most important sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, Jesus Christ. Amen. And in this sermon, he sets the standard of righteousness. If you want to get to heaven, you'd better pay attention to what's in this sermon. And it's interesting, he starts the sermon with a set of blessings. He doesn't say, Blessed are those who become poor in spirit. Or blessed are those who learn to mourn. Or blessed are those who want to be meek someday but aren't quite ready yet. You see, that's man's approach to God. Jesus isn't interested in what you can be or what you might be someday. He wants to know what you are right now, and if you aren't what you need to be, there's only one place you can go to get that. It's not that little spark of divinity that lies within you. It's to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? As we surrender to Him and He works those things, that's where we find the blessing. And those blessings will make us salt and light, In a world that wants neither. How many of you have ever gotten a boil or something under your skin working and building pressure and just... Does anybody here know what Epsom salts are? Boy, that's a good solution for that, isn't it? But the first time you stick your hand in that warm or hot salty water, it feels really good, doesn't it? No, everything begins to throb and you're saying, no, I don't really want this. But if you will, it it will bring healing, won't it? The world doesn't want to see and understand. I mean, let's just take a moment, chase a rabbit here, and we'll get right back to her. But... How many of you have tried to understand all of this stuff going on with the bailouts and and all of that? That is the most complicated thing I have ever heard of. How about you? Do you know why it's so complicated? Because if we just used normal and honest accounting procedure... All these guys would have been put into jail a long time ago. And that's not really pleasant to think about. And so what we do is we come up with complicated, convoluted, all kinds of hundreds of pages of information to explain things that your mama just called stealing when you were a kid. Ooh, boy. Don't you hate to have to come to church and think, No, this is the only place you really can, amen? The world doesn't want the salt and the light because they've taken God's laws, and that's what chapter 5 was mostly about, and explained them all away into where they didn't mean anything anymore. And Jesus goes through and he hits those laws one by one and deals with the heart of the matter until you get to the end of chapter 5 and you want to go back to the beginning and say, Porn spirit? Ta-da, that's me. And when we look at ourselves, mourning shouldn't be something we have to gin up. We shouldn't have to feel bad about the wrong that we've done. It should be normal. It should be a natural result. If you have to sit down and think when a loved one dies on how I should behave... I'm going to question how much love you had for that loved one. Amen? Real mourning is a natural result, and these things bring the blessings. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus has dealt with the issues of the law. He says, now you're going to put that into practice in this thing we call worship, and the first thing Jesus deals with is Money. Giving, and we've spent the last two weeks on that. The number two on Jesus' list is prayer, but I I want us to take just a moment and look at the first word here as he begins to deal with prayer. uh, I'm I'm just going to start reading in verse 1 and go the whole way through until we get to the first word of verse 5. which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And, and when thou prayest. Now that word and is really important. We live in a society where we like to, uh, well, I'll date myself. How many people know what a pigeonhole is? Say, oh, yeah, that's one of those things on the bridges where the pigeon sticks its head out, right? No. Have you ever been to a museum and they have an old desk? And as you roll the top of the desk, it's got all these little squares. Those are pigeonholes, they're not for pigeons, they're for sorting your papers. And we love to take everything and put it in its little box. We had a president, a couple presidents ago, who was praised for his ability to compartmentalize. Do you remember that term? He could be the most serious policy wonk that's ever sat in the White House. One minute and the next minute, well, we're not even going to go there. Uh, Doing evil deeds but the evil was never supposed to interfere with the good things Uh, excuse me God did not design us pray for me one of these days I want to preach a sermon called dr. Jekyll went to church do you get the idea God didn't design us to compartmentalize our worship to be perfectly good and holy on one day and then we can do whatever we need to on another day. You never need to be set free from the confines and the constraints that you find in the words of this book, it's those very constraints and the confining te- uh, words of this book that set you free. Amen. We got to work a little harder on this amen stuff. but this is and it's connected your giving, your prayer, your, Forgiveness, the next part, and your fasting. Boy, that's something we don't hear much about anymore. But we're going to, we've got it on the calendar. We're going to try May 22nd to have another church-wide day of fasting and prayer. It's necessary. Fasting is part of the Bible. How many people go, oh, goody, goody, I get to not eat for a whole day. I love it, right? No. That body rebels, doesn't it? It says, I don't like this. Feed me. Oh, you won't die. It just feels like it. Isn't that the way it works? I mean, full-scale rebellion. But God said, listen, all of these things are parts of your worship and you can't disconnect one part of your worship from another and still call it worship because worship is not something that you do just because you're supposed to do it. Worship is supposed to be the outgrowth, the natural result of taking care of the issues of the law that Jesus brought up in Matthew chapter 5. I've told this story many times, but my last name is Montoro, and we got some new neighbors, and their name was Campantelli. And they saw Montoro on our uh, mailbox, and they figured rightly, hey, these got to be Italians. And we're Italian, and so pretty soon they, they found our phone number and called up and said, Hello, this is your new neighbor, how are you doing? And, and, uh, and they invited my dad over and said, why, why don't you come on over and have a few beers? And my dad said, I don't drink. And, uh, well, well, we'll just listen to a little music and have a little dance, bring your family, and we'll just have some fun. He says, We don't do that. He says, well, you want to play a few cards? He said, we, we don't do that either. What do you do? He said, well, we go to church. Would you like to come to church with us? <clears throat> well, um, I don't think you're Italian like we are. <laughs> Our worship ought to be the natural outgrowth of our relationship with God. Amen? What do you do? If you find your greatest freedom in living on the edge and looking over at what everybody's doing out there, how is that going to allow you to worship God with a pure and clean heart? when you stand before Him in prayer. Now, if I were to ask us the question, how many of you need your prayers answered? Would you raise your hand? Would you give testimony to that fact in church that I need my prayers answered? Amen? I mean, that's important, isn't it? But Jesus is saying, listen, just like we talked about giving, we're going to talk about prayer. But we're really not changing the subject. The subject is worship. It is what you do. This is one of the few things people say, well, what can I give to God? Well, God's not poor. Amen. But he wants us to give to him to honor him as God. That's what we call worship. If we get the heart right, the wallet isn't that big of a problem, amen? When we talk about prayer, we, we want to pray. Now, let's just read this part on prayer. We're going to read the whole thing. We're not going to get into the part tonight that is called the Lord's Prayer, um, I was trying to print my outline on the Lord's Prayer. If you've been through discipleship, we've gone through that. And I was trying to make it fit on the back of one page. And, I was, and then I looked at the clock and I said, 6.29, oh boy, we'll wait for next week on that one. But let's look here, verse 5, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many of you tried to say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Somebody said, where did that come from? Not from the Bible. Uh, The best that we know where that came from was some medieval monk was writing and retranslating the Bible, and he put that in there, and it's been in use ever since, but it's it's not from your Bible. And so let's, let's stick with the Bible. Amen. It says, And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now Jesus is speaking about prayer. You look through your Bible. There's an awful lot of your Bible that deals with prayer. Jesus prayed. One of the few entire prayers that Jesus prayed, we have recorded John chapter 17. On the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he spent three hours in prayer saying the same words. Many times in scriptures we see that Jesus went out and continued all night in prayer. In fact, the disciples came to Jesus. Never once did the disciples say, Lord, teach us to do miracles like you did. Lord, teach us to be a great teacher like you are. What did the disciples say? Lord, teach us To pray. One preacher, I can't remember which one, but somebody I heard quoted somebody else, a famous preacher from actually centuries gone by, every failure in your life will be a failure in prayer. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Now, it's not Bible, but there's an awful lot of truth to that statement, is there not? Prayer is my communication with God. Now, I just want to stop and look at what prayer is. How many of you have been around little babies? Been here to church, you've been around little babies, amen? There's lots of them. Little babies are a lot of fun, aren't they? But they just kind of sit there and go, Unless they're dirty, then they cry. Or if they're hungry, somebody said, oh, he's only two weeks old and he smiled. That's gas. <laughs> it's not smiling. Babies don't smile until they get about three months old, and then they don't know what they're smiling at. My mother-in-law loves Take little baby and go, you dirty, rotten, wicked little sinner, you, and the baby usually. Now, when she did that to Peter, he arched his back and let out a squall. I think Peter knew what she was saying, but none of the other ones have. They all laugh and look at, oh, Grandma's speaking sweet things to me and smiling. They don't know what's going on. The reward is one that baby gets big enough to talk back to you with their own mind and their own thought processes and start returning things to you that you've put in their hearts and in their lives. That, that is the greatest accomplishment. That is one of the greatest blessings that parenthood gives is when they're old enough to call up on the phone and say, Dad, I think I finally understand why you were so mean to me. That's a blessing. Amen? Now, when we pray, what are we doing? We're talking to God, aren't we? How much of our prayer is wah, wah, wah? Coo, coo, coo. I mean, that's cute when you're six months old. But if you're 35, you ought to be able to do a little better than that. Amen? And Jesus is speaking about prayer. He said, Thou shalt not kill. That was Mount Sinai. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oops, that was Mount Sinai again, wasn't it? Uh, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Is Jesus any less serious in Matthew chapter 6 than God the Father was in Exodus chapter 20? Don't think so. He's talking about worship. He's talking about one of the few things that we can give to God. Now, if you haven't figured out yet, this is going to be one negative Bible study tonight. But we've got to go by what the Bible says, not by what we want to hear. Jesus spent this time being negative. If he's going to be negative, guess what we're going to do? Hopefully, we'll listen. Amen? Hopefully, we won't want to change his words to make them a little easier for us to bear. Hopefully, hopefully and prayerfully, we'll allow his words to change us so that we'll be a little easier for him to put up with. Can we say amen to that? And if that doesn't encourage you, then your encourager is done busted. It needs to be fixed. Because there's nothing that we have as sinful human beings that's going to please God. we got to go to Him. Let Him change us. And then as we give back to Him what He's put in our hearts and souls, that's when it gets good, my friend. That's when God says, I can answer that prayer. That song, one of the songs we sang, I, I didn't catch all the words in that third verse before I picked it tonight. Uh, it said, "You can ask God anything, and He'll never deny you." Uh, I'm glad my God has enough wisdom to say no to some of my prayers. How about you? Aren't you glad that God didn't answer all your prayers? I'll tell you. Be not. As the hypocrites are. Now, here's the key to hypocritical prayer. Now, just touching on this, I got this in here. God God will not accept this type of worship. Just something to think about is why do we do what we do today and call it worship? Why do we do it? Why do we pray the way we pray? There's a connection here with giving. Why do we give the way we give? Why do we show up the way we show up or not show up the way we don't show up? Why do we do what we do as we try to approach unto God? Now, in the Old Testament tabernacle, our prayers are pictured living in the living illustration of the priest offering incense on the golden altar. How many of you remember the story of Nadab and Abihu, the eldest sons of Aaron? There are stories in Leviticus chapter 10. We don't have time to go there, but they offered strange fire before the Lord. And the Bible tells us the fire came out before the Lord and killed them. Read on, it says, their brethren came into the tabernacle and carried them out in their robes. Now, normally when you die in a fire, the first thing that goes are your clothes. We're not trying to be too gruesome here. But God didn't burn up the priestly garments. He just got the guys in them. You say, why why are we stopping? I want to show you how serious God is about the picture of prayer. God is intimately concerned with how we talk to Him. Now, praise God, He's not going to send fire out of heaven and burn you to a crisp if you don't pray right. But how many of us would your life greatly change and be altered if God did not answer one prayer for a week? Now that's a sobering thought, is it not? Because I'll tell you, most of us on a normal week would get along just fine and not even be able to tell the difference. But I pray every day. But I, but I talk to God all the time. But, you know, there, there's a lot I do. I mean, I pray everywhere I go. And, boy, you ought to. But Jesus is saying, listen, we need to pray. Let me give you a, a story. I was walking through the Dallas airport one way, day on my way to Oklahoma City uh, for a meeting at the college, and um, as I was walking down the gang, uh, down one of the, those endless hallways, there was a fellow there sitting with a book table, and I immediately noticed he had a medal of honor hung around his neck. That's the highest military award you can get in the United States. I said, I'm gonna at least stop shake this guy's hand. He's a World War II veteran. He uh was one of the first groups to cross the Rhine River into Germany as the noose was tightened around Hitler's Germany. The Rhine was the last major barrier. And uh he was selling the book about his life story, and I just stopped. I said, Man, uh, um, I, I said, uh, I'd like to buy that book for my son. But most of these books are full of cussing and dirty stories. And I said, I'm not going to get something like that for my son. And boy, he smiled real big. He said, there's none of that in my book, sir. He was a Greek Orthodox Christian. And here's what he said in his book. And what he told me, he said, when I was crossing the Rhine." He said, they were shooting at us. It was under, I was under some of the most heavy fire that I'd ever been exposed to in my life. He said, and the Germans were out in the river too. He said, they were so close, I could hear them pray. He said, and we were both praying to the same God. But let me ask you a question. Could you honestly, conscientiously serve in the army of Adolf Hitler and believe the words of this book called the Bible? Huh? Can you? Absolutely not. How could you conscientiously serve a man that was so possessed that he was going to kill all the Jews? That's demonic. But can I get really mean for a minute? If you believe all of the doctrines and the practices of the Greek Orthodox Church, are you going to get to heaven? No. Because your faith is in the organization and not in the person. You see, the first thing Jesus said about these hypocrites is they love to pray. I got a phone call today. A person asked me if we baptize babies. I said, well, can I explain a few things to you? I said, that's a tradition that was developed by man. It's not in the Bible. I said, we, we do not baptize babies. I said, we offer another alternative. I said, you can bring that child to church as a baby and yourself and learn about the Bible and grow in your faith in Jesus Christ and give that child an opportunity to learn what the Bible says and develop a personal faith between that child and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they choose to serve the Lord with their life, then baptism will mean something because it's their personal faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we went on and on and how that the, she kept going on how the Catholic Church was no good. And, and I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to argue that point. I, I really can't. But will you come and learn the Bible? No, we figured if we can't get this, we'll just do something else. Okay, okay, Uh, I give up. You see, that's what the hypocrites do. I'm perfectly fine. As long as I don't hurt anybody and I do good, God accepts me just the way I am. No, that's not true. Even went through with her, that if you only told one little lie, that was the only sin that you ever sinned, would not Jesus have to die on the cross to pay for that sin too? Oh, yeah, 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 I believe that. But I don't know anything about the Bible. What would you come and learn? No, I'm tired of religion. I won't take any more of your time. Click. I'm sitting there going, whoo, where in the world does this come from? But they love to pray, and they love religious ceremony. There are very, 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 very few people in this world in which we live today that do not like the idea of God and religion. I mean, there. you hear about them on the radio because most of these people that really don't like God and religion, they get jobs in media or politics, one of the two. But everybody else, I mean, most people you meet on the street don't believe that there is no God. I mean, they believe that there's something out there. Now, don't they? And they believe that That God is real, and they're going to have to meet him someday, but now I'll be okay. I'm as good as my next door neighbor. What's his name? A Dahmer? Okay. There's a lot of wicked people in this world. Don't, Don't try to get off being as good as your next door neighbor. Could be a pretty rotten guy, couldn't he? They love to pray. Isaiah goes through that condemning the children of Israel. Says you lift your hands in Isaiah chapter one, verse fifteen, you multiply your prayers, God says, I'm not going to hear you. Look with me to Isaiah chapter twenty nine. We may not get through this page tonight. If I get moving too slow, just write me a note and say, Pastor, you're going too slow, and I'll, I'll try to speed up, okay? But unless somebody does that, I'm just going to keep plodding through and trying to make some of these connections here with the rest of the Bible because this sermon is so connected to the Scriptures as a whole. Every, everything that is in your Bible is summarized here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we look at Isaiah chapter 29, let's go down to verse 13. And it says wherefore the Lord said forasmuch as this people draw nigh draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught Now look at this last phrase their fear toward me is taught by precept of man They understand God says listen You understand about me, not because of what my word says, but because of what men tell you and have devised about me. God says, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Now, if that's not today's newspaper, I don't know what is. The wisest men of our day. And I mean, there's just so many things crowding into my head at this point. I mean, where can we go to evolution? Wisest men believe we came from monkeys. I'm sorry, but you got to go to college and practice to be that dumb. I mean, there's not one bit of real evidence of real science out there. Uh, How about we got into trouble for what? Our government, our economy is in the tank because they did what? Spent too much money. Isn't that true? So what we're going to do is we're going to get out of it by spending way too much money. The wisdom of their wise is what um, hid, (laughs) uh, shall perish... And the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Now, boy, doesn't that describe our Treasury Secretary? I can't find his wisdom in not doing his taxes. I mean, it's just kind of hidden from me. He's supposed to be the smartest man out there, but it, I mean, we can go so many places with this. How many of you have ever studied philosophy? Have you ever met anything more dishonest? Than philosophy. Here's the problem with philosophy: is philosophy is the finite, comprehensible man attempting to explain the infinite, uncomprehendable God. That's philosophy. Your wisdom has to be hid to love that. Actually, your understanding is hid. Your wisdom perishes. It's gone. Here's the problem with philosophy. You can only go so far. Then you meet something you can't explain. And so what do you do? Well, if you're a really good philosopher, you make something up that sounds good. And everybody believes you and you go on. When I was a kid we called that lion all philosophers are liars they have to be the wisdom is perishing their understanding is hidden why because they want to draw nigh to god with their mouth but their heart is far from him they love to pray They loved to approach to God. They loved to talk about God and His goodness. Standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. In the Jewish mind and heart, standing was the position of prayer. Today, we pray on our knees for a completely different reason. We, in our prayer want to express our humility and our surrender to God. And the best way you can do that, physically speaking, is either on your face or on your knees. Now, if you tried to pray on your knees in a street corner in New York City, uh, you're going to become roadkill. They're just going to walk right over top of you, aren't they? But this was the way that the hypocrites prayed. If they, didn't ha- if they weren't called upon to pray during the synagogue meeting, they would often stand around and pray out loud in the different areas of the synagogue so that people would look at them. How many of you remember the story of the publican and the Pharisee? Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray. And the one man prayed thus. I love the way Luke puts it. He prayed thus with himself. That was the only one that was listening. Because God wasn't. Well, he, he listened enough to write the words down so that we would have them and be admonished by them. But they wanted, and if they couldn't get at the synagogue, they'd just stop on the street corner. Excuse me, it's time to pray. One preacher a long time ago said, if you'll just obey the Bible and pray long at home, you won't have to pray long in public. Amen? Now, I'll tell you what, I'm glad we have never had a man in our church that has wanted to pray 15 minutes for the offering. Amen? I'll be honest with you, most churches have such said person. And if we had such said person, I probably wouldn't be making a big deal about this from the pulpit tonight. I would be getting them alone on the side and saying, Hey, we got to do something about this. This just isn't the way we do things. You see, when we pray so that other people will look at us, And we didn't spend a lot of time on this when we talked about giving. It's the same thing when we give, so other people will look at us. The words that are here is, they have their reward. Now, when it says they have their reward, we often read into that well, they've gotten all they're going to get from God. God didn't hear their prayer. He's not going to answer their prayer. Uh, I think we need to step just a little deeper than that to really get what's being said here. They got what they were trying to get when they prayed. It wasn't that God didn't hear them and shut them off. They got the answer for their prayer. This is what they were praying for. As they were seeking God, quote unquote, what they were really wanting is people to look at them and say, I wish I could pray like that. I'll never be able to pray like that. And I, I really can't describe pleasantly from the pulpit the sounds that God's making when someone prays like that. It's like when you ate bad food and you You know it just kind of comes up on its own a couple of hours. I mean, God it makes God sick. Read the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. There is so much in religion today where men are full and women are fully satisfied spiritually from the husk of this world. They got what they wanted to get from God. You listen to some of the great, quote-unquote, great preaching today, and it's all about realizing your goals. It's being the best that you can be. And if you're satisfied with that, I want to stand against you and warn you tonight. They did what they did so they could be seen of men. I've had preachers say, listen, you've got to get past your hard-headed belief in those very words you just take too strict of an understanding. I've got... And they would tell me how many people they had on Sunday morning. Then they'd ask me how many we have on Sunday morning. And I mean, today is, praise the Lord, and, what was it, 123 Easter Sunday morning? That's something to praise God about. But that ain't big numbers when you're talking to the world, is it? And they'd say, well, you go to God with your 40 people and I'll go to God with mine, Whatever. And I'm sitting here going, Whoo. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. I'm gonna stick with the words. Because if the number of people that show up in church is the proof of your truthfulness, then the Catholics are number one and the Orthodox is number two. Anybody ready to go? I'm not. I'm going to stick with the words. I don't want to be satisfied with what man is satisfied with. I only want to be satisfied with what God is satisfied with. Amen? This is what he's saying in these... He's saying they have their reward. They got what they prayed for. Has God ever answered one of your prayers? Jesus said, ask that ye may receive that your what? That your joy might be full. How many of you have experienced the joy of answered prayer? That's what the hypocrite feels like when he leaves the street corner. That's why you can't witness to them. That's why you can't shake them and say, don't you see your religion is, is just just pure form? It's, it's just people looking at you. Don't you care what God sees when He sees you? What did He tell the Laodicean church? And no, it's not that thou are wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. This thing called prayer. God says, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. And by the way, how many of you know a hypocrite? Could you just, if you know a hypocrite, would you just raise your hand? Let me. I I just want to make sure you understand what we're talking about tonight. Do you know a hypocrite? Okay, of all the hypocrites you know, we had about 25 hands raised. How many would raise their hand a second time and say, the hypocrite I know is proud of being a hypocrite and lets everybody know they're a hypocrite? Anybody know one like that? Nobody? How many of you know a hypocrite that really believes they're a hypocrite but they're just ashamed to tell everybody? How many of you know a hypocrite that wouldn't believe they're a hypocrite if you beat them over the head with a stick with it written on top? Now the hands are going back up. You see, when you go down that road, you become satisfied and spiritually filled with things that are not Bible, never have been, never will be. And this is what Jesus is warning about. That's why he says, thou shalt not. That's why when he was talking about giving, he said, take heed. Everywhere you see that, take heed. It's a matter of life and death. There are many passages that we didn't go through. We could go through Romans chapter 1. God gave them up. God gave them up in verse 24. He gave them up in verse 26. Finally, He gave them over. Does anybody remember how that process started? Neither were they what? Thankful. How do we be thankful to God? Prayer, isn't it? Jesus warned his churches. He told one church, he said, "You got a testimony that you're alive, and I want to tell you you're dead." He told another church, he says, "You got Jezebel teaching your Sunday school lessons." Well, he didn't use Sunday school. It's in the original Greek, if you look real. No, just teasing. But he said, she was preaching in the church. Now Jesus addressed all of these churches as belonging to him, finally Laodicea, and he said, "You make me so sick, I'm just going to spew you out of my mouth." I, I'm going to challenge our church as we go through this. I'm not going to say that our church has giving just down and we're doing perfect. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm, I am thrilled with what our church is doing in the area of giving. It's amazing. Even in these down economic times. Praise the Lord for what's going on there. And I don't think that we have a lot of unsaved hypocrites coming to church. But what I am saying is I think we could use some work in our prayer life. Would you agree with me on that? We need to take this warning. It's easy to say your prayers. It's easy to love saying prayers. It's a little more difficult to love God and His Word to the point where you have to pray. That's what worship is. It is giving back to God what he has given to us. The Bible calls that communicating. And we could go to a bunch of other passages, and I could keep you here until 10 o'clock, but we're not going to do that. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. This was a church that was satisfied with where they are, and Paul was going, No! You can't do this! Not if you're going to serve God. And no, none of us are ever going to be uh, humanly perfect. But you can be biblically perfect. And of course, that's a whole other series of lessons that we don't have time to get into tonight. But we just finished. Be ye perfect, therefore as your Father is perfect. Amen? Chapter 5. It means complete in God. It means letting God do the work In you. That's perfection. Don't let mankind define God's words. And when we come to prayer, I just want to ask you, are you satisfied with saying your prayers? Or, do you want to, as Jesus is challenging us here in the Sermon on the Mount, to learn how to pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this night and I just ask that you would touch us. Lord, these are deep and hard things to think about. Yet, Lord, we pray that the rebuke that's in your word, the warnings that are here, would not be a discouragement to us that we would not just say no matter what I do it's never good enough Lord we we should have understood that the moment we got saved Lord we just ask that you would work in our midst and Lord help us to love your word to the point to where it brings prayer Lord, that we could offer prayer before you that you would accept, that you would desire to hear, that we would not be satisfied in our worship with mere worldly satisfaction. But, Lord, we would endeavor to only be satisfied with that which is pleasing unto you. We ask you to challenge our hearts and our souls and to make us live differently, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's just keep our